Once again, good morning to you, and I would invite you all to turn to Ephesians. We will pick up where we left off last week, chapter 5. It's in 1173 in your pew Bible. And I'll be reading from verses 15 to 21, but today our focus will be on verse 18 alone. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 to 21, hear the word of God. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Looking at you all today and getting to know some of you, I've come to terms with a biblical truth. I'm going to give you that truth in the language of the King James. You are a peculiar people. (laughs) You are. You're a special people. You are God's special people. You're a holy nation. You are different. And God's people have always been different. We are called to live here on the earth differently than those who are Of the world, so to say. We are not of the world. God's people are different because He has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. And now we make our journey, as we looked at last week, as lights in this dark world. As lights in this dark and evil age. We are different because we are called to be holy. In a world that is unholy. And one of the primary reasons why we are different is because we have a different spirit. We are not of the spirit of this world. We are of the Holy Spirit. Now we have not received the spirit of this world, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2.12, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins so that He might rescue us from the present evil age. Galatians 1.4 But you were once part of this present evil age. You once walked according to the course of this present evil age. Walked according to this spirit that is in this age. See, you are different. We have changed as we looked at last week. You've changed. You're a new creature in Christ. But the world is not. And so we continue. We go forth. To live for God and be light. To live for God and be who you're called to be. You need the help of God. There is no question about it. God's people have been given His instruction. We've been given His wisdom. And today we're going to see the importance and necessity of having 
His power as well to be who we are called to be. We need to be under the influence of God's Holy Spirit. But we are still susceptible to the influences of this wicked, evil age. And that's why today we're going to look at specifically verse 18 alone. Verse 18. Now, the necessity of being filled with the Spirit. Today we will see the command... We'll answer and look at a couple of questions, and we'll see the process. And in the weeks to come, whenever that may be, from 19 to 21, we will see the effects of being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But first, we see the command in verse 18. And this is a twofold command, in the negative imperative and in the positive. So we see, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation but be filled with the Spirit. Now, that is a good command. It makes perfect sense. But why would Paul bring drunk and wine into the frame here? Where is this coming from? Well, let's consider, what we, when we read the Bible, what the original readers would have seen here. Why would Paul have written this? Well, many of them, don't forget in Ephesus, were coming out of pagan temple worship that consisted of much sexual immorality, idolatry, fueled by alcohol. In the context, Paul is more than likely speaking of these pagan practices and the worship ceremonies of the day. So as we've seen much in Ephesians already, particularly in chapter 4, verses 25 to 32, don't do this, but now that you are new, do this. And this is my thinking as well. And it's also the thinking of Albert Barnes, and I'm going to read a quote. It is not impossible that this verse here is an allusion to the orgies of Bacchus, also known as Dionysus, or to the festivals celebrated in honor of that heathen god. He was the god of wine. And during those festivals, men and women regarded it as acceptable act of worship to become intoxicated with wild songs and cries to run through the streets and fields and vineyards. These things the Apostle contrasts with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Another contrast. As much more appropriate modes of devotion, and would have the Christian worship stand out in strong contrast with this wild, dissolute habits of the heathen. So not what you used to be, but what you now are. See, the worship of Dionysus involved these drunken states in which the idolatrous God was supposedly in a frenzy would enter the bodies of those worshiping. It's a counterfeit religion, and Satan always counterfeits the truth, that this God would enter their bodies. We, in Christ, have God in our bodies. Our bodies are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. So I think this is why the context here. But Paul says, do not get drunk. Drunk, intoxicated, where your mind is altered. Do not get drunk with wine, for it leads to dissipation, riotous, wasteful living, scattered attention, indulging in vices. Now, just as we looked at last week, we can be distracted and waste time. And this dissipation... This sort of drunken state 
can waste our time and it be, can be a catalyst for other sinful behaviors and can set us on a destructive course of life. And all those who have followed God are always susceptible to going back, as we have seen in Ephesians. Jesus warned about dissipation. This word I want to look at. In Luke 21, 34-36, I'll read to 35. In the Olivet Discourse, prior to what I believe is the destruction of the temple, and it has application for a second coming, Jesus says, be on guard so that your hearts would not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. And that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap. You see, drunkenness can be a gateway to other sins, particularly the lust and the sexual promiscuity that we have seen in chapter 5. Drunkenness certainly can cause unwise choices and unwise actions. And why is that? What is this with alcohol? Well, I'll give you Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a physician and a doctor and a pastor, has a very interesting perspective. Alcohol is not a stimulant. Further, here's the quote, it depresses, first and foremost, the highest centers of the brain. They control everything that gives a man self-control, wisdom, understanding, discrimination, judgment, balance, the power to assess everything. In other words, everything that makes a man behave at his very best and highest. This is what the Holy Spirit does. What alcohol does is the exact opposite. Drunkenness can cloud righteous people's judgment. We see a man named Noah, who we looked at last week, who walked wisely, In the evil days, he used his time wisely. He was about the will of God. But sadly, in chapter 9, Noah was callous, and he was prone to wander. And he went down a path of foolishness. And the same could be said for Lot. You see, alcohol and drunkenness, we see in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, we see problems with Lot, and we see a lot of commands now against drunkenness. And make no mistake, the Bible is against drunkenness. No mistake there. So leads us to ask this question. Now we get to some questions. Can the Christian drink alcohol? This passage does not speak about abstinence, nor does the Bible command Christians to not drink alcohol. While this text is not a moral injunction Against alcohol, we have to ask this question. Is drinking wine a sin? And the answer is no. But before you start opening any bottles, I got some caveats for you. Okay. Is drinking wine a sin? Well, Paul told Timothy, because wine had some medicinal qualities, no longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Jesus drank wine. Many will say, no, 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 he drank grape juice. There was no alcohol in the wine. Probably not the case. Jesus was accused of a glutton and a drunkard by the Pharisees. We know that is not the case. Jesus was completely sinless. In his first miracle, what was Jesus' first miracle in John 2? Turning water into wine. Now, there are many who will say, again, that was not fermented. 
There was no alcohol in that wine. According to Jewish wedding tradition, fermented wine was always served at weddings. If Jesus had provided only grape juice, something would probably have been said about it. Now, drinking wine is not a sin. Ecclesiastes 9.7. Ecclesiastes, we looked at Solomon last week as well, who fell prey to dissipation in many ways. The cares of this life distracted him. But Solomon would speak about writing the vanities of life, but also the pleasures of life. Ecclesiastes 9.7 instructs to drink. Go then, eat your bread in happiness, and drink your wine with a cheerful heart. For God has already approved your works. Certainly, this is not sin. Psalm 104.15 And wine which makes man's heart glad, so that he may make his face glisten with oil. Certainly not a sin. But there is a little caveat that you must understand that is very important. The wine spoken of. Now wine, somewhere in the area of 13 to 12 or 13 references of different words for wine. There are different words and different meanings. There are different types of wine. There is also strong drink. But the wine spoken of here in the New Testament is not as strong, was not as strong as the wine that we see today. That is not the case. I'm not going to get too technical on you, but uh, according to the Mishnah and the Talmud, and the oral traditions of 200 B.C., 200 A.D., it shows that the normal dissolution rate among Jews was three parts water, one part wine. Now, this depends how you mix and all that. But if you're really interested in go research, there's a lot. Men like John MacArthur have done solid research. A man from another theological camp, Norm Geisler, who went home to be with the Lord, have done a lot of research, and they've attested as others that... Make no mistake that the wine spoken of in Old and New Testament is not as strong, nowhere near as strong as the wine today. So, God's word permits the consumption of alcohol. This is just kind of parenthetical. But God's word condemns drunkenness. The Bible speaks quite a bit more, makes a stronger case in my, in my thinking about the dangers of alcohol, the dangers of drunkenness. 1 Corinthians 6.10, drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. Bible warns about Proverbs 23.29-35, 31, Proverbs 31.4-5, Isaiah 5.10-11, and, and the list goes on and on. So while you are permitted as a Christian to be a liberty, if you will, to drink wine, we have to ask ourselves this question. Is it the best choice for you? Is it the best choice? Let's answer with scripture, not my opinion. I'll give you scripture. Your body, your life belongs to the Lord. And in 1 Corinthians 6.12, Paul writes, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Now, Alcohol may be perceived as a Christian liberty. It can also turn into a bondage as well. Let me give you an example. Along the lines about your liberty becoming a stumbling block, maybe bondage is strong, but it happens. 
Romans 14, 20-21. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything which causes your brother to stumble. Now certainly, it can be a liberty to turn into a bondage. But my opinion now, I'll give you my opinion as an elder. Although drinking is permissible in the scriptures, and I cannot tell you it's not, because I would be in the land of legalism and I would be falsely telling you that. I think the best strategy is to not drink. Because drunkenness is, is absolutely, unquestionably, and universally throughout the Bible denounced. And it's dangerous. And what I would say, drinking leads to drunkenness. Therefore, do not drink. But that's a choice that you'd have to make. So, we look at part two to command. I did not want to bypass that in terms of the alcohol for us. I thought it would be an opportunity to kind of see what the Word of God says. But let's look at the command as well. We saw in the negative imperative, and now we're going to see in the positive. Don't be drunk, but there's something better. Do not be drunk with wine, but the command here to be filled with the Spirit. First, let's establish something. To be filled with the Spirit... You must have the Holy Spirit. How does someone get the Holy Spirit? Does it happen in seventh grade during confirmation? No. I'm being silly again. But I say that because you must understand many of us come out of that life. The Holy Spirit comes to you when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. When you are born from above, you receive the Holy Spirit. And your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. While every believer has the Holy Spirit, we're not always filled with the Holy Spirit. So what does this mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It's when the Word and the Spirit of God work in unison. Being filled is when the Word of God and the Spirit of God is the predominant influence in your life. When the Word of God dominates your thoughts, when it dominates your actions, in everything you do and everything that is done, it's when you are under the influence of the Word of God. The command is in the present imperative. Keep being filled. You cannot be filled with the Spirit of God or the Word of God if you are not reading the Word of God. The idea is to constantly be filled. It's as if I took a wine glass and I poured it, right? And we drank, and you drank another one and you drank. You'd be under the influence. The same is true with the Word of God. You have to drink it in. You have to take it. And it will influence you. And you will be filled with the Spirit. To be who you are, as it was said in Sunday school, you, to abstain from what you're called to abstain from, to take what you're called to take on, and to be who you are, you need the power of God. You need to be filled with the Spirit. A quote from, from Wayne Barber. How do I live wisely in a dark, hostile world? I'm constantly saying to the Lord, yes, Lord, 
whatever it is. By saying yes to Him, I'm saying no to my flesh. I'm being controlled moment by moment by moment. I am constantly aware of His presence in my life. Moment by moment, practicing the presence of Christ as I am willing to yield. As I am willing to yield to whatever His will is in my life. This is a process. You will never fully be full of the Holy Spirit, but this is the process. So, it is being under the influence of the Word of God. It's yielding to the control of the Word, and this will produce godliness. Where dissipation, wine, produces ungodliness, and it's a drunkenness is a, a fruit of the flesh, we see now a fruit of the Spirit. And I will read the fruits. Galatians 5.23 The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. To be who you're called to be, we must have self-control. Now we see the fruits of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh. In verse 21, drunkenness, carousing, things like these. So there is no neutrality here. You're either going to be filled with the influences of this present evil age. Wine here is an example. But there are other influences that may intoxicate you, that may dull you, if we are not filled with the Spirit. And may cause us to deviate from the path. Remember, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise, but wise. Making the best use of your time because the days are evil. And don't be foolish, but know what the will of the Lord is. Now let's look at the process of being filled. We know what it is to be under the influence of the Word of God when the Spirit of God and the Word of God are working in a believer's life. But how does this happen? Well, it's supernatural. But let's look at a parallel text that gives us a clue. It gives us a clue. Colossians 3.16 Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness to your hearts to God. Under the influence, as we will look at, God willing, in the future, we see in Ephesians 5.19, speaking to one another in psalms, in, in singing, making melody to your heart, always giving thanks, having gratitude, and having a reverence, and, and submitting to one another fear of the Lord. We see it's very similar here. So letting the word of Christ richly dwell in you. What else is dwelling in us that would prohibit that? Now, let's also look at by abiding in Christ. How does this happen? We ought to be abiding in Christ, abiding in the word. This is very, very important. Consuming the word. Again, drinking the word, if you will. You will be under the influence of the Word. And when you consume, it will have an effect. Let's consider that the Holy Spirit, the power for us to live this life, comes from God. There are things that we're going to look at here that we can do, but we cannot derive this power. The power of the Holy Spirit is the Ruah, the breath of God. Picture yourself as a sailboat. It's God's wind who is guiding you. 
What we can do is have the instruction to maybe steer that sailboat. But it's God's power, the wind, that will guide you. But what else can we do? Well, what is our role in this? What is the part to play? Certainly, letting the word of Christ dwell in you. Amen. Abiding in his word. That we can do. That we must do. Certainly prayer. Certainly prayer. Prayer, people say, will change things. And amen. Prayer changes us as well. But I want to remind you what Paul would write in chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. About praying to be filled with the fullness of God. You see, in Ephesians, chapters 1 to 3 were the theological portion of the letter. Now, 4 to 6 is the practical. And now Paul's saying, what we prayed for, now we want to be filled with the Spirit as well. And certainly there is an element of yielding or surrender. That is what we are to do. We are to yield to God's instructions. We are to surrender. And as we have looked at already, the theme of John the Baptist's thinking in words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that he must increase so I'm, and I must decrease is certainly relevant to being filled with the Holy Spirit. It involves obedience. It certainly involves obedience. You have to have the mindset and come to a place, yes, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. So it's God's power but what, is, what are we to do to have this mindset of not my will, but yours be done? We must diminish in selfish ambition. We are very selfish. We are very selfish. There's no condemnation. It's just an observation that we are now under construction. We are, part of what we do is selfishness. We must discipline ourselves against these selfish lusts that oppose the Spirit of God, that oppose the instruction of God and our self-will. We must die to self. There is also something else that we are to do, and that is confession. Confession of sin. When it happens, confess it. When it happens, confess it. And with confession is repentance, to turn, and avoidance. What hinders the filling of the Holy Spirit? Well, it's sin. Sin is what hinders the filling, and sin and our disobedience hinders this work because we are still fallen in this frame. Now, be filled with the Spirit. Do we lose the Holy Spirit? Is that why we need to be filled? No, we never lose the Holy Spirit. We are sealed, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view of redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. This does not affect your salvation in terms of ever losing it or ever losing the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is a down payment that cannot be revoked, the first installment of your redemption. And it's a guarantee. But let's consider 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that God's Spirit dwells in you? We understand that God's Spirit dwells in us. In 2 Timothy 1.14, it speaks about dwelling in us. But Jesus says something very important. We will not lose the Holy Spirit. We can diminish the work. 
Jesus said in John 14, 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. That is the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, and he will be with you forever. So as we make our journey here and through this spirit of this age, this darkness, this evil, we need the empowerment of God. Because, as D.L. Moody said, we leak. That's why we need to be filled. And it's also, we've said that before, and it's a very, very popular Christian saying, but there's so much truth to it. You have the Holy Spirit, Christian. You will not lose the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. But how much of the Holy Spirit does he have of you? That's something to consider. Now, metaphorically, we get drained, we leak, and sin causes this. So what are we to do? We understand, as we looked at in chapter 4, verse 30, the Holy Spirit, although you will not lose him, he can be grieved. The Holy Spirit, though you will not lose the Holy Spirit, can be quenched. And this will affect us in our walk here on this side of eternity. Much of our role is about maintaining, is about maintaining the work of God. And it's really God's work. It's supernatural. Make no mistake, there's nothing you can do but maintain. As we looked at, to confess. We looked at to let the word of Christ dwell in you. Pick it up, take it in, abide in it. Pray for the filling, pray for one another. There is also obedience, dying to self. There is avoidance, avoiding things that would drain us and and cause us to leak metaphorically, if you will. So these are things that we can do. Now, we must understand to be filled with the Spirit is something that we will need in the days ahead. It seems as if from a week ago today, our culture got even more darker. It looked like there was some light emerging and then there was darkness. This is a wicked, evil age. But the people of God have always dealt with this. In the first century, in the New Testament to today, we walk through this world as strangers, pilgrims, with a citizenship in heaven. And to be who God's called us to be, we need His power. We need His power, make no mistake. So Christian, if you're not being filled with the Holy Spirit, the good possibility is... You're probably being filled and spiritually your mindset and your conscience diminished with other things, with things of this world. There are many intoxicating influences that still would want to draw our attention and lead us to dissipation and cause us to wander off that path of righteousness, cause us to distraction, to not use our time wisely, and things that are contrary to God's will and cause us to be foolish. In closing, I just want to ask you today, if you do not have the Spirit of God, you do not belong to Him. Do you have the Spirit of God? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? We can look at the Scriptures and say, Do that, do this, do this, do that. But the key is Jesus Christ. He is the all in all. Without His grace, 
Without His salvation, without His power, we're incapable of doing anything. Is Christ your Lord and Savior? If He's not, please see me after this this sermon. Please see me. And for those who are occupying their time with the things that we looked at, now don't make no mistake, this is not particularly a moral injunction against wine. We looked at that in alcohol. But there are other intoxicating influences that many will fall prey to, for a period at least, and we can be under the influence. Is that you today? Has something else usurped the filling of the Spirit? Has something else occupied your time? Has something else caused you to not walk wisely in these evil days? The days are dark. They may get darker. doesn't really matter. This world is not our home. Let's make an impact and be who the Lord has called us to be in Christ. Let's walk in the Spirit, not fulfill the flesh. And to be who we are called to be, we must be filled with the Spirit. Let's be filled with the Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your instruction. We thank you for your wisdom. And Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that we have the Spirit of the living God in us. But Father, you understand our frame. Yet we are still fallen, Lord, and we still need guidance. We need your mercy. And thank you for your grace, Lord, for we all still sin and fall short of the glory of God. But by your grace, Lord, may we refocus, recalibrate today, And walk forward in this process of being who we are called to be in Christ. May your will be done through us. In Jesus' name, amen.